That's exactly what I would recommend to the, that individual is get the hell out of there. And I have seen that happen over and over again. And I'll tell you this, you know, it's, um, uh, the, you know, we, we all have heard about, you know, people who have been in abusive relationships, let's say abusive personal relationships. Well, when you have a manager like that, that's an abusive relationship. So people often, you know, say, well, why didn't the person who was abused leave the relationship? And the reason is that they start to believe what they're told. The same thing happens in a work environment. So if you have a manager and there are plenty of them out there that say what you just said, you should have known better, I pay you, you know, X number of dollars and, you know, I expect no mistakes from you, you have to take a step back and say, what am I getting from this situation? And what's going to happen? How am I going to feel a month from now, six months from now, a year from now, you know, in this kind of environment that is not supportive of me? And the hardest thing for someone in that situation, and it truly is difficult, is to say, I'm better than this, I'm worth more than this, and I'm going to start looking. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining yours truly, Ryan Caligiuri, on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where you know what we're doing here every single week. I'm reading a book myself. I'm breaking that book down to a core set of golden nuggets. I'm contacting the author, bringing them on the show, having a conversation with them about the golden nuggets, and I'm here with you every single week, just trying to save you a little bit of time. If you like this show, if you've listened before, you like what you're hearing, you like what I'm putting down, hell, if this is the first time you're listening and you just like my voice, because it's so soothing, get online. I know, I'm full of crap. Get online, rate, and review the show. doesn't matter if you're listening on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, your Apple app, doesn't matter, Stitcher, whatever you're listening on, rate and review the show. Take a screen capture of that rating, of that review, send it to podcast at ryancalajuri.com and I'll make sure you get entered into a draw every single quarter for a prize. And this quarter's prize, we're giving away the Amazon Echo, Google Home, or the Apple HomePod. Yeah, I threw that one in here this week. And um, the winner, I'm gonna pick your name, I'm gonna send you an email and say, which one do you want out of those three? You're gonna tell me which one you want, I'm gonna send it to you. Nice and easy. If you've already provided a ranking and review, then thank you so much. You're already entered into the draw. Moving forward, you know how that works. Don't forget, also, follow me on LinkedIn. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you want to get updates from me more frequently, you want to follow me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm most frequent. That's where I'm putting most of my investment, most of my time into figuring out LinkedIn, dedicating time to building my network in LinkedIn. So if you want to see what Ryan's doing throughout the week, prospecting-wise, marketing-wise, you want to know the kind of conversations I'm having, lessons learned, follow me on LinkedIn. It's probably the best place to do that. All right, so this week, what are we talking about? So, well, actually, last week was really interesting. Last week, we had on um, Emily S. Fahani-Smith, and we were talking about finding meaning. And I love the fact that so many of you are reaching out to me saying how impactful that episode was to you. And it really makes me happy to hear that many of you are taking the golden nuggets, taking the information these authors are sharing, you're putting it into practice and you're trying to better your life. So this week is no different. There's a lot of you last week who contacted me and said that, you know, you're working in a, in a job that you don't like. It's not inspiring to you. In fact, it's poisonous. You know, it's ruining how you act at home. 
it's ruining your mindset and it's affecting you working out and it's putting you in a really bad space. And I, I hate to hear that. I really do. So I'm really happy that this week we have on Susan Peppercorn and she's a career coach and her book is Ditch Your Inner Critic at Work, Evidence-Based Strategies to Thrive in Your Career. We don't give enough time to our career. We don't. And it's funny because we just kind of go on autopilot sometimes because we know that it's crappy. And we just kind of accept the fact that it's crappy. And we say the pain of change is too much than the pain of staying the same. And I disagree with that. I've been there before. I know what it's like to hate Saturday. You might say Saturday's the weekend. Why do you hate Saturday? Well, I hate Saturday because I got to look forward to Sunday. And I hate Sunday because it's the day before Monday, which I got to go back into work. I love Friday because it's the furthest day away from Monday. Life's too short to be living like that. You have to change. And you might be sitting there listening to me and saying, Ryan, it's easier said than done. Much easier for you to change. Life's too hard for me, man. I got bills to pay. I, you know, I got, I got credit card to pay off. I got debt to pay off. I got kids to put through school. Listen, I understand. But you have to think of some sort of way to get yourself out of the, the, the crap hole that you're in and get you into a new life where you know, your career is a little bit more fulfilling. And hell, I'll tell you right now, you could take a pay cut even. You might take a pay cut and that'll still make your life better. It'll make your life so much better because you'll probably end up being happier. Your health will improve. You'll want to work out. You'll want to have better conversations with your family. And when your mindset changes, new opportunities might come to you as well. And I'm telling you, it all changes when you start to look at your career differently. So anyways, this week we got Susan Peppercorn on. She's talking about her book, Did Your Inner Critic at Work? And she provides us with some really good um, advice, really good advice that she gives to a lot of the individuals that she coaches. And I think that there's a lot of good things here that you might be able to take away and help you in your career if you're not in a position that you know, you would say is optimal right now. So definitely give it a listen. If you haven't listened to last week's episode with Emily S. Fahani-Smith, go back, listen to that too. But definitely give this one a listen. Let me know what you think once you're done listening to it. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Let me know your thoughts. Definitely don't shy away from telling me um, how this interview might change your life, how certain things in here you might put into practice. And uh, if you have any questions about it, then definitely please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Let me know. And I'd love to have a dialogue with you about it. But In any case, give it a listen. Let me know what you think once you're done listening, but I'll catch you back here at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Susan, how you doing? I am great, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Before we get into the rest of the show, why don't you tell us first, introduce us to yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and tell us why you ended up writing the book in the first place. So I'm an executive and a career coach, and my passion is helping people um, not just survive in their not just uh, survive in their careers, but thrive in their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found personally, uh, I wrote this book for two reasons. One is because I was miserable in the bulk of my career, mm-hmm. and I didn't have anyone to guide me. And I thought there has to be a better way. Um, so that was my, my first motivation. My second motivation is that as I've worked with hundreds of individuals, I find that there are stories that they tell themselves about themselves, which typically are negative, mm. that get in their way. And so I said, you know, given my background and my knowledge of, um, you know, of, of research in social science, 
I knew that there are ways of overcoming this kind of inner saboteur. And so that's really why I wrote the book, so that people could really find happiness and satisfaction in the work that they do, because that's where we spend 30% of our waking hours. That's right. Well, why don't we get into it right now? One of the first ones that we talk about is being a perfectionist. Now, we look at people who strive for perfection as, as inspirational. You know, we, we think about Steve Jobs, we think about Elon Musk, um, perfectionists. What does this perfectionist behavior look like and how are they harmful to our careers? So it's, it's a really great question. And I would, I would answer the question first, Ryan, by saying to you that there is a difference between excellence and perfectionism. Hmm. Excellence is knowing, um, knowing what your standards are and moving forward. Perfectionists keep tweaking until they try to achieve what they think is perfect, but there is no such thing as perfect. Hmm. It's really good enough. And you have to recognize when something is good enough because in business, None of us have the time, especially given the pace at which things move. None of us have the time to, to, to do things perfectly. There is no such thing. And what I've found is that um, in the people that I work with uh, who are in roles of leadership, um, if they try to reach perfection, they're falling behind in reaching their goals because um, the goalpost is always moving and they can't get there. It's a very difficult balance, I find, for these individuals. I, I, I work with a number of these individuals who consider themselves perfectionists, and they take a lot of pride in that. So to try and pull that out of them and to say, listen, being a perfectionist is not a, not a, not a great thing. It's not helping you in your business. It's tough because they've made that as part of their identity. You know, I, I am a perfectionist, and they take pride in that. But the problem is when you realize how long it takes them to get certain things done. Right. Instead of taking a week, it takes Absolutely. a month and things that should take a day, take a week and things that should take an hour, take days. And so that's that's the challenge. That's so, right. So how do you how do you coach somebody who, again, they have this and I, I, we have to be very careful here because I don't want to say that people should lower their standards. We, yes, we should all have high standards. We should all achieve a higher level of excellence. But when it starts to get in the way of productivity, to me, is, is really when it becomes a problem. So the question is, how do you coach someone that has these tendencies? Right. The, first, um, the first thing is to make them aware of it. Most, time, most times, as you've said, people are on autopilot. Mm -hmm. They don't even realize it. And I'll give you an example that comes up frequently in my kind of coaching. So if I happen to be working with someone on a resume, you know, they, sometimes if they're a perfectionist, they will go back and back and back and back mm. and I'll say to them what's the purpose of the resume and they'll say to get an interview to get in the door and I'll say exactly right hmm. what else do you need to do to get that job and then they'll you know they'll list all the different things and so I've said then if the idea is to get in the door and you've done as best as you can you've represented yourself well then you need to move on and you're spending too much time on this. And I, there's a quote that I use, um, for example, there was um, the dummy series of books and I don't remember the author, but it was about career searching and he has a really funny line and he said, don't spend as much time on your resume as you would a prenuptial agreement. <laughs> 
So I, I often use that with my clients, regardless of what it is that they're trying to achieve. The other thing is, is as you know, with coaches, um, the idea is to set short-term goals with your clients. And if I find that clients are missing those goals because they're perseverating on something and they don't think it's perfect enough, then I bring that awareness to them. As well, and it and and the the real key in helping a perfectionist reform themselves is to make them aware of their behavior, because oftentimes they're not. For many reasons, a lot of people we make poor career decisions, and it's a challenge because it keeps us stuck, keeps us unhappy, and unfortunately, as you said earlier, there's just a lot of different um, people out there who are on autopilot and. This, this challenge of, of being stuck in a career and making poor decisions, what leads people to making poor career decisions? And, and what kind of poor career decisions are people making today? So I would say to you that social yardsticks are the number one reason that people make poor career decisions. And what, what I mean by that is they do what they think they should be doing, what they've told they should be, they, they're told they should be doing instead of what they want to be doing. So, you know, they're comparing themselves to others. Well, you know, so-and-so has a PhD, so I should go and get a PhD. Right. Do you want to go and get a PhD? <laughs> um, so-and-so is a VP. I should, you know, I should, my goal should be to become, a, you know, should become yeah. a P, you know, become a VP. So they're comparing themselves to others instead of looking internally and saying, what is it that I really want? What is it that really drives me? Mm. And that's the primary reason that people make the wrong career choices for themselves. Hmm. So we look around at our peers, our colleagues, our friends, and maybe we envy them, maybe we look at them and we say, you know what, if they have that, I want that too. It's kind of an element of keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. Um, but I find I find it interesting because maybe maybe that that works at a on, a on a good level too because maybe you surround yourself with people who are striving to be more and maybe it makes you uncomfortable and makes you want to strive to become more so it can be something positive or negative is that correct or is it something that's only seen as something negative that no that is absolutely correct it depends on the degree so you know who you surround yourself with is very important to. Um, the happiness that you're going to have in your life and in your career. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes we see people and we make assumptions. You know, we see them on the surface, they're very successful, but we don't really know what's going on underneath. And there's a, a psychologist at Stanford, Carol Dweck, who talks a lot about mindset. And um, she has a, a term that she calls duck syndrome, what she said she's noticed in her students is that on the surface, they seem very calm, they seem all together, yet like a duck, you know, under whose who's, uh, feet are underwater, they're paddling madly mm. to stay afloat. And so when you see somebody that looks very successful, you really have to ask yourself, what cost, you know, what is the cost to them? Are they really happy? And are they paddling madly under the water in the way that maybe you don't see? Mm. You know, if you think of people, for example, in financial services who, you know, the, the big bucks jobs, hedge funds, 
um, VC firms. You know, they look so glamorous, but, you know, a lot of people in that industry suffer from different types of addictions because of the 100 hours a week that they work and the constant pressure. So, yes, externally they look very successful, but what's the cost? But, example. no, I think your point is, is, is well taken that, um, you know, if you surround yourself with people who value excellence, but also are true to themselves, hmm. then you've surrounded yourself with the right kind of people. Yeah, I can really talk to the uh, the hedge fund manager, the, especially in the financial services space. It's it's not a fun space. And to, for anybody out there, I mean, if, if you're very passionate about financial services or if you're in a hedge fund, I mean, it's, it's, it's I, I don't mean any offense to it, but I do have um, friends and colleagues who work in that space. And, you know, they post their stuff on social media and you see, you know, the clothes they wear, the cars they drive, what have you. And they're, they're, they're so proud of it and it looks very glamorous. But as you get to know them a little bit better, you know that they're under a great deal of stress, a great deal of pressure. They're not sleeping that much. And in the end, you ask yourself, are you really truly happy with what you're doing? And unfortunately, this I'd never thought about it until you started mentioning it, but the social yardstick really plays um, a big key role here because they're hanging around with other people who have those elements. And it is an element of keeping up with the Joneses after a while. And, you know, it, it, starts, to become, right. it starts to become less of something that you enjoy doing so that you feel like you have to do now. And that's, again, never a place where you want to be. And again, that comes back to making poor career decisions. But... There's another thing there that I really liked and I wanted to ask you about as well, too, and that was the imposter syndrome. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? So the imposter syndrome goes um, hand in hand with perfectionism. And the imposter syndrome is what many of us suffer, suffer from, and I did myself. Um, it's when you believe that you are a fraud and that someone is going to find you out mm. and unmask you at any moment. Hmm. Um, and imposter syndrome happens, um, it can happen for a number of reasons, but, you know, if someone's a perfectionist and they think that, you know, what they do is not good enough, it's never good enough, it's never reaching their standards, then it's likely that they're going to think, you know, I'm just really a fraud and I'm not really as good as people think that I am. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the two um, really go hand in hand. I will tell you that in my own career, when I suffered this the most, I was a brand new sales manager in a high tech company. I was all of about 25 years old and I had been promoted too soon without enough training. And um, I took over management uh, responsibility for a major money center bank. My clients were twice my age and truly, I did feel like an imposter hmm. because I did not have enough business experience or enough life experience to be in this role. So sometimes people get promoted um, into roles. They don't get the support that they need when they get promoted. It's like, okay, you're a vice hmm. president now. Well, what am I supposed to do and how am I supposed to act differently? And, you know, that's where something like coaching someone when they when they get a promotion can really be helpful so that they can onboard and take on these new responsibilities well. But if you're just given the title without being told how to do it, then imposter syndrome can result from that. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a difficulty, uh, or that, that's a difficult one, because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who you know enjoy what they're doing, but they do get put into a manager position or a director position, or they're fresh out of school and they get a coordinator position, and you know they they don't know everything about their role, and that's okay. It's okay. Not everybody has all the answers, and I do believe that there's a lot of that at play here because when I coach a lot of individuals, you know, who are in, in, in sales roles, marketing roles, product development roles, they always feel they have to know the answer. And so you can really tell in their face and they get asked a question from an executive or somebody on their team and they sit there, well, um, uh, and they're choking on their words. And it's like, Hey, I know you don't know the answer. It's okay to say you don't know something, go back and say, you know, I don't know the, right. know the answer. But I will find the answer for you and I will get back to you. And so I always found having these little techniques to kind of take the pressure off you from having to know it all, from, from thinking that you have to know it all, um, it can relieve some pressure. But if somebody's out there right now listening and they do suffer from this, you know, they're, they're, they're anxious, they're worried that someone's going to find them out, it's, it's a very real problem. What kind of advice would you give to that person? So the first piece of advice I would give to them is ask questions. If you're not comfortable going to your manager, which you should be, but, you know, the reality of the situation, Ryan, and you and I both know this, is not all managers are that approachable. You know, some of them just expect you to know how to do the job. But then ask yourself, what other resources do I have? Who else can I go to? There are colleagues uh, that you can ask questions of. You know, uh, go grab a cup of coffee with someone. I, I think the main thing is not to isolate and, as you said earlier, to think that you have to figure this out alone. There are always people that know and people love to give advice. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say, um, no matter where you are in your career, is join a professional association in your industry. Mm-hmm. Because that's a great way to learn, Um, you know, if you're in marketing, you can learn techniques about marketing, you'll hear speakers talk about, you know, whatever the topic is, but you get to network with other people in your industry. And so form a network. Um, And my main, my main uh, recommendation is not to go it alone, to know that it's okay to ask questions. I got to ask you this question, very blunt question, pretty simple, but what is happiness really about? Because you say that we have misconceptions of happiness and that it's not all that we think it is. So tell us, what is happiness and maybe what is it not? So happiness is not what we often think it is. And happiness is different for different people. So I want to start by saying that feeling happy is not the same as being happy. And what I mean by that is Feeling, any feeling, happiness, sadness, anger, frustration, those are fleeting emotions. They come and go. But happiness is really about feeling a level of satisfaction, you know, uh, that all feels right with the world. And um, what really uh, contributes to happiness are not the external things that you were talking about before with the hedge fund managers. So what social science research has shown time and time again, it's not the car that we drive, it's not the money that we make, not that those things are not important, Um, it's not the title that we have, it's do we feel engaged in what we're doing on a day-to-day basis? 
you know, I know you had Barry Schwartz, um, you know, on your yeah. podcast. Uh, he's the author of the book, Why We Work. And, you know, he talked a lot about this, which is it's, it's really about finding meaning in what you do. Um, and, and it comes back to not doing things because other people think you should be doing them, but because you yourself find meaning in them. So meaning, finding meaning in what you do is a major contributor to happiness and satisfaction. So too are relationships. And you may not think, okay, well, it's work. How important is it? But one of the biggest factors in happiness overall are the relationships that we keep. And having you know, close relationships with people. It doesn't have to be, you know, 100 people, but it can be a few close people that you're that, that are your go-to people that you feel that you can confide in when you're having a problem you can go to and they are there to support you and, um, and vice versa. Hmm. I would say to you, it's also about the journey. It's not about the destination. And, um, you know, that was said to me by one of my teachers, Tal Ben-Shahar, who's a psychologist, um, you know, we make the mistake that we think if we reach this goal, whatever the goal is, that we're going to be happier. And what research shows is that's true for a very short period of time. And then we quickly adapt. Hmm. So, you know, if we get the A in a class, if we get the new title, if we get a raise or the promotion or the new car, yeah, we're going to feel great for about a day or two. And then we're back to our steady state. But if your if the journey of getting you there is fulfilling and inspiring as you're working on it, that's really the key. It's not the goal, it's the journey to get to the goal. Such great things to think about. And I think it's it's a challenging piece because we don't we don't pause long enough in our day. We don't pause long enough in our week or, or, or however long we need to. We don't pause long enough to think in great detail about these elements and how they're impacting us. And the one thing that you said there, and it's, it's maybe something we can follow on here, was something else you said in the book. You said we have to find meaning in our work. So in the book, you also mentioned that, um, what, what, what is it? Uh, we shouldn't buy the bumper sticker. So things like follow your passion mm-hmm. or choose a job that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. You say that these cliches, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're good for magnets and bumper stickers, but not necessarily for your career. So when you say something like finding meaning in your work, people might look to those you know, maxims as ways to help them make a decision. But you're saying don't follow those, those, those cliches. Why is that? Um, you know, you can't just say to somebody, oh, go find meaning. It's like... What, what is that? You know, how do you do that? You know, and it, and it means reflecting back um, on times when you felt that you were really engaged in what you were doing. So a favorite question that I have that I ask clients is, tell me about something you accomplished that you're really proud of and why. And they have to go back and think through their career and, you know, they write down an example. But in that is the seed of the meaning. Because invariably what they'll say is, you know, well, uh, someone was just telling me that they built a new manufacturing plant 
in Europe, all their all their company's manufacturing had been done in the United States. They were tasked to build this new manufacturing plant, and they got the plant up and running in under six months, and um, that they worked with a team to do this, and, and she felt this was a wonderful accomplishment. I said, what was it about this, you know, this situation that was so inspiring to you? And she said... I collaborated with a small team and we knew what the goal was and we worked together as a team to get it done. So right in there was a seed of meaning in that she loves collaborating with others. So reflecting back on what you've done, that really you look back on and you say, that was just such a wonderful moment in my career can help you start to identify the, um, the, the real criteria or the seeds of what meaning means to you and to every person it's different. The other thing I will say is that if you think back to an experience where you just lost a sense of time, you know, I often use skiing as um, uh, uh, an example of this or any sport if you think of a sport that you're doing where you're so engaged that you, you know, two hours, three hours can go by. Mm -hmm. like, wow. <laughs> you know, um, that's called what psychologists call flow. Mm -hmm. And if you think back to when you've been in flow, flow and meaning go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So if you think back to a work experience where, you know, I, I work with a lot of scientists. And oftentimes they will tell me about, you know, um, uh, drug experiments that they were working on. Their goal is to bring new medicines to market. But they'll tell me that, you know, they may have worked for days. They may have stayed overnight mm. uh, to, finish, to finish an experiment in the lab because they were just so interested in finding out what the outcome was going to be. Mm. That is indicative of someone right. who find meaning in what they're right. doing. It's very difficult. So to find meaning, you have to, you again, you cannot be on autopilot. You have to pause. I've said this already a number of times in this, this podcast already, but you have to be conscious of it and you have to really give a lot of thought to it. It takes effort. It takes time. And so when you think about how much thought goes into it, one of the most dangerous things is if your thoughts are being poisoned on a regular basis, you know, if your thoughts are being poisoned by negativity, by um, maybe politics in the workplace, or there's something that's that's in the back of your mind that's affecting the thoughts that are continuously, you know, forcing you to uh, take a certain direction. Um, and so this comes to this element of, of positive self-talk. And it's something that I don't know why it is, but my colleagues, my peers, they, they, they tell me, they say, man, like, I don't know how you deal with the certain stressors or certain problems that come up, but you always find a way to, you know, get out of that negative state of mind rather quickly because you have some very strong positive self-talk. But I know that for a lot of people out there, you know, if something goes bad today at the workplace, you know, they screw something up or, um, you know, they forget an important document or they forget somebody's name or they, you know, forget somebody's um, uh, uh, meeting and they, they stand somebody up. And all of a sudden, they start to just have this negative self-talk, and it just weighs them down, and it affects who they, who they think they are. It affects their identity. How can people overcome those mental gremlins and overcome negative self-talk? So I have some exercises where I ask people in the exercise to reframe um, what happened to them. 
Hmm. So, um, you know, you bring up an interesting point about having a setback or failure. So failure for perfectionists, big or big failure or small failure, it's failure no matter what. And so um, what I've learned through my career and also I've learned by working with scientists who face failure every day is you have to ask yourself, what have you learned from the experience? Hmm. Because, you know, failure is painful, but it's a really good teacher. And scientists have told me that without failure in the experiments that they do, they would never learn how to how to work around whatever it is that they're trying to do and to get to a good outcome. So part of it is, um, you know, to accept failure as um, a learning experience mm -hmm. and, you know, not see it as, you know, just this, this, this disastrous event that will end your career. And I actually give an example of something that happened to me in my career that I thought was going to be the end of my career and the end of my job. And um, not only, you know, not only did I deal with failure, but I had shame associated with it, which is, which is even worse mm -hmm. because, you know, then you're blaming your whole self and, and it goes on and on. That's right. But the other thing I would say is, if you're in an environment that is not supportive, and you know, I've, I've worked in so many organizations where there's a lot of toxicity, I would say people need to take a break. Mm. And you might say, well, you know, why is that important? Or how does that help somebody deal with, you know, um, uh, the, these, this negative self-talk? You have to break the pattern. So if something has gone wrong at work and you're sitting there going, oh, no, I screwed it up. I messed it up. My boss is going to be mad. Take a five-minute break. Get up from your desk. Go outside. Take a walk around the block. Get a cup of coffee and reset. Because if you sit there and, and that you, whatever it is that is consuming your, your, your thoughts at the moment, you have to break the cycle. Hmm. You could do it by listening to music for five minutes, put a headset on and listen to music. Um, you know, uh, anything that gets you to, to break the cycle of that thinking is what you need to do. And sometimes when, you know, people have experienced um, something negative, like you were saying, they beat themselves up yeah. and they're going, oh, you know, I can't go to lunch today hmm. because I screwed this up. So... Well, that's the wrong approach. Yep. Mm -hmm. So the approach is to say, I'm human. All humans make mistakes. And, you know, I'm going to take a little break. I'm going to reset. And you need to do that, particularly in toxic environments where you're surrounded by negativity that's right. um, all the time. Yeah, I've, and I, again, I've experienced that as well. And there's a few things, few things that I've learned that, Again, so people say, how do you have such positive self-talk? It's that exact same thing that you talk about with, with regards to failure. I don't look at failure as a negative. I, I look at it as, as, as one of my greatest teachers. And I have a philosophy every single day where if something goes wrong or if something appears as a setback, I always say it's not a setback. It's a set up for me to learn something. It's a set up for something greater. <laughs> and so you got to have those those philosophies in my mind to help help you weather a lot of the, the crap that might come your way. But something I also found was... Taking responsibility was really important as well. So when I screwed up, 
I didn't look to somebody else and say, hey, it was their fault. Or I didn't just let it sit there and allow people to come up with their own thoughts about, about what that meant or, or what that means about me. If I screwed something up, I would go directly to the people that you know were affected by it or the people who knew about it, and I would apologize. I'd take full responsibility uh, for it. And it, something happens when you take full responsibility for something. You, you take ownership of it, and people look at that, and they say, that that's a mature uh, individual who's making a decision um, and taking that responsibility on themselves, you know, and yes, they screwed up. Yes, they're, they're, you know, it sucks that that, that happened. But, you know, I think people appreciate honesty. I think people appreciate taking responsibility. Um, do you see that as something that, you know, is, is, is something good that people should be doing? Or, you know, do you have other techniques that maybe people should leverage if they do find themselves screwing up or if they do find themselves failing in the workplace? So I think absolutely, I think it's a great strategy. And I think the result will also be that whoever you own up to is going to respect you for that. Mm -hmm. You know, because all of us are sitting there thinking, gee, I could have been the person that made that mistake. Totally. So, you know, the fact, so the fact that, you know, Ryan came to me and admitted that he made a mistake, I really respect him for that because then that gives me permission mm -hmm. to admit when I make a mistake, which is going to happen. That's right. You know, invariably, it, it's going to happen and it, it, it builds respect and trust with your colleagues. So absolutely, I, I think it's, um, it, it, it's definitely something that, sure. that helps. And then you're not sitting there alone thinking, oh, my God, what did I do? Because maybe the response you're going to get is, hey, it wasn't such a big deal. Typically, we blow it out of proportion in our own mind. That is very true. And I, I always say that it's uh, our, our minds are the greatest storytellers, and they usually are, are, are one for the dramatics. And it's uh, it's so true. You sit yes. there, you sit there on your own head, and, and I'm telling you, you'll come up with all kinds of scenarios. And in reality, the scenario that actually happens is not as dramatic as the one you told in your head. But I sit there, and I'm, uh, as, as we talk about this, I'm thinking about people who are in those toxic environments, those negative environments. And, you know, uh, the, the, the piece that we were just talking about where take responsibility for your failures. Well, let's just say somebody out there is listening and they, they did that. They took responsibility for their failure and their manager, their director, their, 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 their boss. They look at them and they say, well, you know what? You really should know better. You shouldn't be failing at this level. I'm, mm -hmm. not, I'm not paying you the kind of money that I'm paying you to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. You can't afford to make mistakes at this point. What do you say to that person? Like, at what point do you say, listen? Get the hell out of there. That person is too toxic and you deserve better. Is, is that a scenario or what, what would you recommend to that individual? That's exactly what I would recommend to the, <laughs> that individual is get the hell out of there. And I have seen that happen over and over again. Okay. And I'll tell you this, you know, it's, um, uh, the, you know, we, we all have heard about, you know, people who have, been in abusive relationships, let's say abusive personal relationships. Well, when you have a manager like that, that's an abusive relationship. So people often, you know, say, well, why didn't the person who was abused leave the relationship? And the reason is that they start to believe what they're told. The same thing happens in a work environment. So if you have a manager and there are plenty of them out there, that say what you just said, you should have known better, I pay you, you know, X number of dollars, and, you know, I expect no mistakes from you, you have to take a step back and say, what am I getting from this situation? And 
what's going to happen? How am I going to feel a month from now, six months from now, a year from now, you know, in this kind of environment that is not supportive of me? And the hardest thing for someone in that situation, and it truly is difficult, is to say, I'm better than this, I'm worth more than this, and I'm going to start looking. But a lot of times people stay too long, and it definitely affects their Mm -hmm. self-esteem. And oftentimes it doesn't have a happy ending because the boss themselves are a perfection as a perfectionist they're looking per, for perfection and oftentimes they'll lay the employee off yeah and then they'll do the same thing again and again and again mm-hmm. so i would say get the hell out yeah and again it's a great piece of advice and again for people out there listening they might say hey ryan susan listen it's really easy for you to say but i got bills to pay I have a family to support. Mm-hmm. I, I, I completely understand that, mm-hmm. you know, but at what point do you say, if you were, if you hate waking up in the morning, if you, you love Friday because it's the furthest day away from Monday, you know, you, you're kind of not really mm-hmm. sure about Saturday because Sunday's coming up and Sunday's the day before work and you can't enjoy your weekend, you can't enjoy your evening, it's affecting your family life, it's affecting your health. At what point is enough? So have you worked with people before where they've been in that scenario where they're like, listen, Susan, I got bills to pay. I can't leave. Like, how do you help that individual? So, yes, I have worked with people in that scenario very frequently. So the first thing I ask them is, you know, um, uh, do they have a partner that's working? Mm -hmm. Um, And I ask them if they've consulted with a financial planner because oftentimes, People will say, oh, my, I have to keep working and I can't afford to do this when the reality may be that they can afford to do it. Right. So one is know where you are logically, not emotionally. Um, Number two is the other thing I would say to them is if they really need the job, and sometimes they do, then carve out some time. Don't quit your job. Because that could create, you know, a whole host of other problems, Um, especially if somebody is self-supporting and, you know, maybe they have uh, kids and they have to take care of them. Then don't quit the job, Mm -hmm. but carve some time out. And that may mean that you have to work nights and weekends. Yeah. But so be it, you know. And so that's the other piece of advice that I that um, that I give people. So people who are in that stage uh, of their life and, you know, they're looking at another career, they might be thinking about, you know, what, what, what do I really want to do? And they might be thinking, listen, like, what are my strengths? What am, what am I great at in my career? Do you find that a lot mm-hmm. of people are constantly looking for their strengths and they don't know what they are? And how can you help people uncover their strengths? So my answer to your question is no, people, most of them don't even know what their strengths are. They're always looking at their weaknesses. Hmm. And, you know, if you think of how most of us were brought up as children, you know, what were we told? Oh, you know, you only got a C in math, so, you know, you have to work on math or whatever the subject was. And the same thing happens in the workplace. And um, someone who read my book recently told me, that the thing she found the most valuable was the section that I have on knowing your strengths, knowing and building your strengths. Um, Because most people um, take them for granted. When something comes easily to us, we don't really pay much attention to it. Whereas if it's a weakness, well, we know it's hard, so we work on it. Mm -hmm. But what all the research shows 
is that people um, who work um, at their strengths and utilize their strengths at work are happier. So how do you find out what your strengths are? Well, you can ask other people. You know, that's one way. An exercise that I often use with my clients is to say, ask people who know you well to tell you about a time where they were impressed with something that you were doing and um, what strengths did they notice in you? Because oftentimes people who know us can see our strengths more easily than we can. So that's one way of doing it. And there are some formal assessments. Um, you know, Gallup has one, uh, strengths, uh, strengths Finders, which most people are familiar with. Um, there's another one called VIA, Values in Action. It's a free strengths analysis that anyone can go online and take. Um, but I have found in working with clients that understanding their strengths is really eye-opening to them because especially if they've been in a situation where they felt beaten down, they forget that they have strengths to begin with. So um, really, um, research will tell you don't focus on your weaknesses. And if you're in a job where um, you're not using your strengths, then either try to adjust that job to utilize more of your strengths or maybe look for another one. It depends on the situation. That was a, a, an element of self-discovery that I think everyone has to go through. And I went through that myself. And I can only really speak to, to my experience because I don't, I, I don't really necessarily uh, coach people on their careers, their career paths. But I tell you, once you find that strength, man, like everything turns around. You start to feel more passionate about your work. People say, oh, how can you work, you know, 10 hours, 12 hours? Well, when you're really passionate about what you're doing and you find meaning in your work and it's a strength of yours and all of a sudden everything changes in your world. And I'm telling you, if you're not there, you have to try to find a way to get there and, and take some of the piece of advice that you're sharing um, with us here in the podcast that you're sharing in the book to get to that place because man life is too short to be doing stuff that you're not happy with it's too short to be working on your weaknesses life is too short to be working with people who don't respect you who don't you know enjoy working with you collaborating with you and you got to really double down on your as on your strengths and you got to really work with people who you know you love working with if there's one piece of advice that you Amen. Hey right right exactly kind of went on a little bit of a diatribe there kind of blacked out but <laughs> Um, if there was one piece of advice that you could give to somebody out there listening right now, uh, what, what piece of career advice do you give maybe most frequently to people that you feel has the most impact? I know it's a big question. It's a tough one. But um, if you can give us any insight, that would be awesome. I would say the one piece of advice is that this, um, you know, finding out what you need for yourself and how to find that satisfaction in your career is a process. Um, it's, it's not an activity. And a lot of times people think, well, if only I do this, you know, if only I read Susan's book. Well, Susan's book might help, but it's not the only thing. And you have to give yourself the time and the space to really think about it. And if I could add one other piece of, of advice, course. and that is surround yourself with the right people. Hmm. You know, Trying to do, ma making major changes in your life, whatever that might be, um, are best not done alone. Hmm. So, um, you know, put together um, what I call a kitchen table cabinet uh, or a personal board of directors. 
you know, three or four people who know you, who know your strengths, and who you can talk through your thinking with, so that you're not going into that realm of self-talk where you may be right or you may not be right. You need people who can give you um, objective and supportive feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a teacher of mine calls them beautiful enemies. Mm. So you want beautiful enemies who are going to be honest with you, but honest with you in a supportive way. And, you know, some of those, if, they, if it's a career change, they should also have some industry knowledge so that they understand the kind of change that you're trying to make and give you feedback as to what that, whether that's realistic or not. So it's a process, number one, and get the right people involved. You know, form that personal board of directors, and you will get there faster. Mm, great takeaways to finish up this episode. Susan Peppercorn, ditch your inner critic at work, evidence-based strategies to thrive in your career. Susan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Now, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or if you have any resources that people can leverage, um, how can they get in touch with you and how can they get these resources? Sure. Thank you, Ryan. I just want to say this has been really just so much fun and a great pleasure. So people can get in touch with me on my website, which is positiveworkplacepartners.com. And uh, for listeners uh, of um, your podcast, I want you to know that there is a workbook um, that you can download for free off my website. It's uh, called Are You in the Right Job? And it's a uh, career self-assessment. So that's available to everyone. I'm on Twitter. Um, I have um, a LinkedIn profile. So feel free to connect with me um, on any of those places um, or on my website. Wonderful. Well, Susan, thank you so much again for coming on the show. It was a real treat having you on here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. All right, my friends, there we have it. That's Ditch Your Inner Critic at Work, Evidence-Based Strategies to Thrive in Your Career by Susan Peppercorn. Again, I hope you listened to this, and I hope that there is something in this episode that you can take away, something that maybe inspires you, something that maybe will help you change your life at work. Because I'm telling you, life is too short to be working with people who treat you like garbage. Life is too short to be working, doing stuff that you don't like. And I think that every single one of you listening, perhaps maybe not all, but a big chunk of you have been there before. I've been there before. And hell, it makes life so much more difficult. And it just takes the joy out of life. It takes the, the, the color out of life. And you kind of look at life in a grayscale and just it's not fun anymore. And it bleeds into everything. It bleeds into family. It bleeds into health. It bleeds into the stuff that you do, the stuff that you think. And it all comes down to work. Change your work to change your life. I'm telling you that right now. And I don't mean to um, overemphasize that, but it's so critical. And if you listen to this episode and you said, listen, man, I I listened to the episode. I listened to Emily S. Fahani Smith's episode last week. And I still don't see a way to change them. Please reach out to me. Reach out to me if you're in that dark space, and I'll do what I can to help you. I mean, I'm super busy as it is, um, and not to say that it's an excuse, but I will do my best to put you in touch with the right people, um, maybe make connections if possible, just to help you. If I can change one person's life with this podcast, which I know I have, but if I can keep doing it, hell, that's what I'm here for. So don't hesitate to reach out to me on LinkedIn. If you're having issues at work, I'd love to help you out wherever I can. I'm not a career coach, but I can put you in touch with some good people who can definitely help you. 
If you enjoy this episode, if you enjoy what I'm putting down, again, a reminder for you, rate and review the show wherever you're listening. Send that review to podcast at ryancalajuri.com and I'll make sure you get entered into the draw every quarter. Again, this quarter, we're giving away the Amazon Echo, Apple HomePod, Google Home. And um, again, just your ratings and your reviews. They mean a lot to me because I read each and every single one of them. So thank you in advance for doing that. All right, my friends, that is a wrap. Um, Something to look forward to. I'm going to be changing up some of the format of the podcast. I want to... um I want to make it a little bit more sophisticated. And by sophisticated, I want to add a little bit more uh, production value into this thing. So definitely look forward to that coming up in the next week or two. Uh, depends on how fast I can get it going, but I'm going to change up the format a little bit. And uh, you won't notice, well, you're going to notice it that it's going to change, but it's not going to impact the flow of the show. It's just going to give me a better opportunity to organize the show and um, just produce it a little bit better. But in any case, it's all constant and never-ending improvement. Whatever I do, the podcast, my health, my work, it's all the same thing. So the podcast is no different. Hope you like it, but whenever I put new, um, new uh, whatever you want to call it, whenever I put the new format in place, I always love hearing from you. So definitely let me know what you think. But enough jibber-jabber from me. I know you want to hear the motivational piece at the very end here. So I'm going to kick that one off as well. And um, again, everybody, I hope that if you are having a tough time at work right now, that you take steps, baby steps, to change that around. But in any case, I will be back here next week, my friends, with, of course, a brand new book, a brand new interview with an author, and, of course, more Golden Nuggets. And you know what I'm here doing every single week. Just trying to save you a little bit of time. Okay, everybody, have yourselves a productive, really meaningful week. And I hope to catch you guys back here next week. I love you guys. Take care. You know, and so uh, my job was to clean these seven floors between Friday and Sunday. So every time I would go to the the seventh floor was the CEO's office. So I would bust in like I was the CEO. I'm dreaming like I'm the CEO now. And who would have ever thought I've been blessed? And here I am. I am the CEO of my own company. I think that the the number one thing is you have to have a very clear vision, a very clear goal of where you want to go, because only then you will get there. Uh, You can have the best airplane or the best ship in the world, but if the captain doesn't know where to go, he will just drift around. If the pilot does not know where to go, he will just drift around with his plane. So I think the key thing is that we know where we are going and that you're very passionate about that. You see it always in front of you, the goal. To thrive in whatever you do, please understand your terrain. Know what your target is. Don't guess it. Be as clued up as the next man, because that's 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 your petrol. That's your your your, your fuel to get you moving. If you don't know where you're going, what your targets are, you're never going to get there. Period. And the other thing that's important is is that you got to shoot for the top. You got to go and really have big goals and think big because then you're going to get big. Then you're going to go and achieve big things. That is the most important thing. You know, we don't achieve big things by accident. I have to tell each and every one of you that it doesn't matter how, how old you are, how young you are, your age, you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. And I always say, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Um, If you think that you're going to go and accomplish something really special, 
and be the best in anything in the world, and you think you can do it without working, you make a big mistake. Because no matter what I did, if it was in bodybuilding or in acting or if it is in, in, in the political arena, uh, it always took a lot, a lot of work. And you got to put out and you got to, you know, something to make a lot of sacrifices notice. If you're not willing to work hard, forget about it. I, I truly believe we are all equal as human beings. If we are obsessed with something and we truly pursue our passion with everything we have, regardless of any, anything else, if you are obsessed, work hard, put in the time, you will succeed. And, and that is a philosophy that I carry, my coaches carry. And, and to see LeBron James, who's like a mega uh, superstar over here and a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete, share um, that belief is, is inspiring right back to me. It, it shows that we are thinking correct. You know, this is, this is hard work. This is an obsession. Nothing can beat hard work. This here is the reality? Do you mean that the competition is not the reality? Listen, the work is behind the scenes. Competition is the easy part. <laughs> behind the scenes is where the work is done. Everything is done to, to get to that one race that you need to run. I always questioned myself in the best of times, uh, even when I was world number one for many, many weeks and months in a row. At certain times during the year I said, what can I improve? What do I need to change? Because if you don't do anything or you just do the same thing over and over again, you stay the same. And staying the same means going backwards because the other guys are working hard and improving. So I always needed to find ways to improve my game as well. watch a lot of young people sort of meander around without any idea about why they're doing what they're doing. I mean to want and to be ambitious and to want to be successful is not enough.